Hello, this is Pearls on Tuesday, where we create and celebrate the beauty of ordinary moments in extraordinary ways. Today's podcast is entitled The Happy Life. It is based on a Harvard study by Robert Waldinger. What keeps us happy and healthy as we grow older and travel through life? If you were going to invest now in your future best self, where would you decide to put your time and energy? A survey asked a group of young men ages 18 to 25 about their most important goals in life. 80% said wealth, and 50% said to become famous for something. Does this surprise you? It shouldn't. We have been taught by parents, bosses, and teachers to lean in to work, to push harder in order to achieve more. Many of our role models have demonstrated that these are the things we need to do in order to have a good and successful life. I'm here to tell you about a study called the Harvard Study of Adult Development. It is the longest running study ever conducted to date. For 75 years, the lives of 724 men were followed beginning in their teens. Every two years, the men were interviewed in their own living rooms and were asked about all aspects of their lives. Of course, at this point, no one knew how their lives would eventually turn out. Studies like this one are rare. They usually fall apart after a few years. Funding runs out, people decide to drop out of the study, and researchers move on or even pass away. However, due to the persistence of three generations of researchers and the commitment of the participants, this study has survived. 60 of the original 724 men are still alive today and are participating in the study. Most are now in their 90s. I am happy to report that as the study evolved, the researchers began to include wives in the study along with over 2,000 of their children. Here is how it happened. In 1938, the researchers began studying two groups of men. The first group were sophomores at Harvard College. They graduated after World War II and then went on to serve in the war. The second group was made up of boys from Boston's poorest neighborhood. Most lived in tenement housing with no running water. As the teens from both groups, the Harvard College group and the poor Boston tenement housing group, along with their parents, began to participate in the study. They were interviewed individually and were each given medical exams. 
These boys entered all walks of life. They became factory workers, lawyers, bricklayers, doctors, and one president of the United States. Some battled alcoholism and schizophrenia. Many climbed the social ladder from the bottom all the way up to the top, and some went in the opposite direction. But every two years, the researchers met with the men, obtained medical records, drew blood, scanned brains, videotaped them with their children and wives, and talked to them about their lives and their deepest concerns. So after 75 years, what have we learned from the tens of thousands of pages of information gathered? Well, surprise, surprise, the lessons learned were not about wealth or fame or working harder and harder. The clearest message that we got from this intensive study covering 75 years, is this. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier. Period. Not diet, exercise, education, or financial status, but good relationships. The information we learned can be divided into three big lessons. Lesson number one, social relationships are really good for us and loneliness kills. People who are socially connected to family, friends, and community are happier, physically healthier, and live longer than people who are less well-connected. Lonely people were consistently less happy. Their health began to fail around midlife. Brain functioning declined sooner, and they lived much shorter lives. It is a sad fact that at any given time, one in five Americans reports being lonely. Lonely in a crowd and lonely in a marriage. Big lesson number two, it is not the number of friends you have or whether you are in a committed relationship that matters. It is the quality of your close relationships that make the difference. Living in the midst of conflict is really bad for our health. Living in a high-conflict marriage without much affection turns out to be much worse than the effects of divorce. While living in the midst of good, warm relationships, we get protective measures to our mental status and our physical health. To prove this, the researchers looked at the men who made it into their 80s and traced their lives back to their 50s. Of course, they were attempting to prove that there were predictors present in their 50s that assured them living well into their 80s. The study showed that it was not their middle-age cholesterol levels that predicted how they would grow old. Rather, 
It was how satisfied they were in relationships. The people who were most satisfied in their relationships at age 50 were the healthiest at age 80. Good, close relationships seemed to buffer them from the slings and arrows of growing old. And big lesson number three, good relationships do not only protect our bodies, they also protect our brains. The well-connected participants maintained sharper memories well into old age. Keep in mind that these were regular men and women who experienced the same ups and downs, trials and troubles as you and I. However, as long as they had someone they could really count on when times got tough, these troubles didn't seem to take a toll on them in the long term. So this is the incredibly simple truth. Good, close relationships are paramount for our long-term health and well-being. Why is this so easy for us to ignore and dismiss? And why do we insist on putting so much stock into other things? The media alone provides us with proof of this quite frequently. There are, unfortunately, a plethora of examples of the most wealthy, famous, successful people in the world who are not able to find and maintain happiness in their lives. Vincent Van Gogh, Ernest Hemingway, Marilyn Monroe, Elvis Presley, Mindy McCready, Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, Freddie E., Amy Winehouse, Robin Williams, and Kate Spade, to name a few. The best explanation for this is that we humans tend to search for a quick fix something we can get or take to make us feel happy and stay that way. Let's face it, relationships are messy, complicated, and a lot of hard work. Dealing with family and friends is not always sexy or glamorous. In fact, in their early years, many of the participants in the study felt the same as our millennials surveyed, thinking, what we really need to go after to have a good life is wealth, fame, and high achievement. But after over 75 years of collecting research from this study, we have seen that the people who fared the best were the people who leaned in to relationships with family, friends, and community. So what about you? Let's say you are 19. 25, 40, 65, 75, 80. What might leaning in to relationships look like? The possibilities are endless and are unique to each of us. Leaning in to relationships might be something as simple as replacing screen time with people time or breathing new life into a stale relationship by doing something new and different, or reaching out to a family member you haven't spoken to in years. How about giving up the CBCs, 
criticizing, blaming, and complaining, or doing your best to be a friendly, approachable neighbor and friend, or simply putting a smile on your face instead of a scowl. Because what we know for sure is that holding grudges takes a terrible toll on our health, as does resentment, jealousy, apathy, and negativity. Being disconnected from people, no matter their significance in your life, forces you to live on the outside of the circle, and that is a lonely place to be. We now know that it is also unhealthy and leads to faster decline. The good life that we all chase is built on strong, need-satisfying relationships. I have spent many years helping people navigate these rough waters and learn how to become better connected. You would be shocked to know how many people just don't get it. They refuse to see and admit how their own isolating behaviors towards others is affecting their mental and physical well-being. A client once told me with a smug smile, I'm just not a people person. Okay, so be it. Just know that we were constructed to be herd animals. We were made to be in relationship with others. We all need moments of solitude. Solitude is a very good thing. But choosing to adopt behaviors and beliefs that consciously keep others at a distance is concerning at best. You reap what you sow. If I was asked to name the greatest success of my life thus far, it would unequivocally be the relationships I have with my husband, children, family, and friends. I can honestly say that I have done my very best with all that I have within me to create, nurture, and sustain good relationships with the important people in my life. I have fought to keep them alive and thriving despite the hills and valleys we all climb over the course of an ordinary life. I will never stop trying to make them better, stronger, and more satisfying. The good news is that we each hold the key to a happier, healthier, more need-satisfying life. It really is that simple. All we have to do is reach down into our deep pockets and retrieve that key. Place it in the hole and open the door. Reaching in means deciding that relationships are important to you and that you have the desire to make them better. Placing the key in the hole means committing to a plan, fixing what needs to be fixed, smoothing out your rough edges that have a way of snagging on things when you least expect it, turning that frown upside down so that your face reads, I'm approachable, making things less about you and more about us. Opening the door means action. Do what you committed to, to do and don't entertain excuses like, I'm just not a people person. 
which allow you or give you reason to fail. Bottom line, we need one another. We need a village. We need people and pets, of course. All are welcome. Take good care of you and yours.